at a certain point with Armani crew we went into one church and on the floor there was Karl Lagerfeld taking pictures of the mosaics uh, laying on the floor. <laughs> so I said Ravenna is the fashion capital of the world with Karl Lagerfeld and Armani at the same time in a church. Welcome everybody. I am Susie Menkes, editor of Vogue International at Condé Nast, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all keeping safe and healthy. How exciting that we are on our sixth podcast already. I wanted to start this one by thanking you all for tuning in each week. What a joy it's been connecting with you in this new way and speaking with some of the industry's most influential designers, thinkers and executives who have certainly inspired me through their words. I am enjoying reading all of your comments and hearing your thoughts each week. Please do keep sharing them. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts and are enjoying these episodes, it would be wonderful if you could leave us a review by tapping on reviews and then on the stars and maybe even a comment. It would be so valuable and it really helps other people to find and enjoy us in our creative conversation. Now, what an exciting sixth episode we have for you on Creative Conversations this week. I am so pleased to be joined remotely to Chairman and CEO of Uke's Net-A-Porte, Federico Marchetti. The idea of selling upmarket designer clothes online was almost unimaginable at the start of the new millennium. But by convincing many luxury fashion houses to take their initial steps online, Federico Marchetti has changed the way people shop. Federico was born in the small city of Ravenna, Italy, earning an economics degree at Bocconi University in Milan and an MBA from Columbia Business School in New York. After beginning his career as an investment banker, he then found a way to bridge the gap between luxury brands and the internet, bringing together fashion and online through e-commerce. In 2000, Marchetti founded Ukes, the world's first lifestyle e-commerce destination, long before the launch of Facebook, Instagram and the iPhone. And today it remains Italy's sole unicorn. In 2015, Ukes and Net-A-Porter managed to join together and create the Ukes Net-A-Porter Group, and in 2018, the group was acquired by Richemont. Today, Uke's Net-A-Porter serves more than 4.3 million customers in 180 countries, with more than 1 billion visits to his online destinations annually. Now Federico is transforming the luxury shopping experience through artificial intelligence, visual recognition, and big data. Federico is dedicated to social and environmental engagement as well as creating a culture of inclusive and gender balance and producing digital skills among young people. I can't wait to hear Federico's intelligent words from where it all began to where he sees the future. Welcome. 
So, Federico, I want to start by saying that this is your 20th birthday, 20 years. Congratulations. Of course, we are talking about the anniversary of the founding of Ukes, not actually your own birthday. <laughs> well, I was there at the start of the new millennium. Looking back now from this position, how do you feel about your invention, selling upmarket designer clothes online that has changed the face of luxury fashion. Thank you, Susie, for asking this question. So it was uh, 1999, it was uh, during the autumn of 1999. I remember that I was drafting my business plan in my small apartment in Milan, coming back from uh, Columbia University where I did my MBA. And uh, yes, you're right. I really wanted to uh, reinvent the future of fashion. That, that was my plan. And uh, I have to say that uh, future is something that constantly changes. So future, in, in a way, doesn't stop. And is something that you cannot reach, you know, because it, it is the future. And, uh, and this uh, dynamism uh, during these 20 years has been reflected in uh, everything that I did. You know? So, for example, uh, the merger with net also like the, the, the acquisition by Richmond, and so like launching a new category, which is the jewels and watches online, um, is all, always looking at the future as something that uh, uh, is uh, imaginative. Let's look at the, at the very beginning then. Um, you came up with this name, Ukes, which I know the idea of it is male and female chromosomes. And it's pretty amazing what you invented there and what you did. But it's interesting how you're no longer a, a lone star on, on planet fashion. I mean, as you just said to us, you embraced other brands, you talked to them, you joined them. And so really, you've got Uxnet-a-Porte, you've got Mr. Porter, you've got the Outnet. And you have, as you say, um, uh, Johann Rupert of the Richemont Group. Um, so what does it actually mean now? How much in control are you? So uh, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary pretty soon on, in June, because both Ukes. Uh, and, and Net-a-Porte, they both opened the virtual doors in June 2000. So it was a, it's a coincidence, but both of them, basically, they opened to the world in the same month, the same year. And, and the way I feel is, is, is that we are just 20 years young, not 20 years old. Because, uh, because, for example, like if we consider Hughes, uh, I think it's still very, very, very contemporary, despite uh, 20 years. On, on Hughes, you can find fashion, design and art, all of which uh, will last a lifetime and beyond. Uh, Well-made yet accessible pieces uh, that can be cherished season after season and even passed down through generations. So which is a very sustainable message now, which is very, very contemporary, very much on trend. And being part of Richmond, um, I think, gives us uh, a big advantage because it's one of the most important luxury goods uh, group in the world, especially in hard luxury, which is like watches and jewelry, and uh, which is a category that we've uh, started selling in 2016 as part of my five-year plan uh, ahead of the acquisition of Richmond. So like, I, I came up with the idea that... Uh, if we could sell a Valentino gown for $30,000, why not selling a Cartier watch for maybe like uh, $100,000? 
and and uh, and as as always putting myself in the shoes of the customer, it worked because we we immediately saw that uh, this category was flying. You're just saying that it was flying. You're putting it in the past tense. Is this in reference to um, COVID nineteen? Because this must have been. I mean, we can't call it a hiccup. It was an absolute extraordinary thing that happened. So are you still managing this kind of growth and this kind of balance that you had with the um, hard luxury and soft luxury? They always do say, you know, in our English language, that it's an ill wind that brings nobody any good. Is that true? Have you found a good wind to help you in this difficult time? I, it, it's good that uh, you, you bring the wind into the conversation because uh, I'm uh, an uh, avid sailor. And uh, I love water, I love sailing. And the way I see this uh, COVID-19, uh, and, uh, and that's also the message that I um, conveyed to our employees and also to our customers with the letter that I wrote uh, in the month of March, was that uh, like every storm, also this one will pass. And now because like uh, there will be like uh, big waves, uh, and they've been actually like in the middle of uh, big storms uh, with the sailing boat. So there are big waves, uh, you don't know what, what's going to happen, but at a certain point, uh, the sun will come out uh, and uh, you will see the horizon uh, much clearer than before. And I think it will be more or less the same. Uh, the, 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 that's the way the message of positivity that I've, uh, I've conveyed to the people. Also because we have used an approach during COVID-19 that was uh, people first. So... So, in, in other words, what uh, I decided to do was uh, to close down uh, the distribution center during the peak of COVID-19, spontaneously, in order not to have, uh, let's say, not to take any risk for the people. And in, and in fact, uh, until now, we have 0.1% of COVID cases in the last three months among 5,500 people. Uh, we were very lucky in a way that, uh, I mean, like, uh, as part of our DNA is always uh, like to stay ahead. And uh, given that uh, we are a global company with offices in China, in Italy, in UK, in US, uh, we started from China, we reacted immediately, and then we imported immediately the best practices that uh, we have put in place in China for Italy. And then uh, we have put uh, like the best practices for Italy, like in the UK, and then in the US, because we were ahead of time compared to the governments. So in a, in a way, we could leverage on our global network much easier and with much more collaboration than the local governments that uh, it seems that uh, they didn't uh, work together in a way. No? Because, uh, like for example, we, we received from the UK unions a big congratulations for the measures uh, of safety that they put in place in the UK warehouses that they've seen that they've never seen anything like that, but simply because uh, we use the same measures that uh, we used in Italy and we use the same measures that we use in China. And also focus on, on innovation always. We tried also to come up with my tech team, with my R&D team, with uh, new innovations to protect and to help the people. So, for example, we are just launching a safety hub which comprises of an app, for example, to book your presence in the office, because like uh, we will continue smart working, but also like uh, for people that want to go back on a voluntary basis uh, to the office, they need to book the presence in the office because like uh, they need to, to book their space because we cannot have uh, too many people at the same time. Um, 
It must be have been difficult because who knew what was coming? Nobody. Um, is there a change that you recognise and see in the actual clothes that people are buying and wearing? Has something that's happened this year so dramatic to us also changed our wardrobes? It's changing very fast. So, so basically, this month is very different from the beginning of the lockdown. At the beginning of the lockdown, we've seen, uh, as expected, uh, uh, loungewear, uh, topwear, uh, sneakers, so basically like items to feel comfortable at home, uh, as well as uh, on looks, um, a lot of uh, home design or a lot of uh, art books, uh, probably because people uh, had a lot of time at home. And now we see hard luxury like uh, being... Uh, an important part uh, of, uh, let's say, of uh, the demand from customers. So, so definitely uh, we see that uh, is uh, very resilient as a category, as well as beauty, for example, is another uh, growing category during this time. So probably people like they love more like to, to buy beauty and creams because they, they, they spend a lot of time at home. But uh, the overall feeling is uh, sustainable items is, uh, is uh, super important for customers. So they're more and more focused on sustainability. At the same time, I think, um, and I'm not talking about products now, I'm talking more about the messaging and in terms of the communication with the customers, they love uh, authenticity. They love uh, emotions that uh, they are true, and not, uh, let's say, just marketing. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen that, for example, I wrote, uh, I, I wrote a letter to all of my customers, and we're talking about 4.3 million customers around the world for use net Porte. And uh, it was uh, so passionate to receive uh, this uh, feedback from so many customers about, uh, let's say, how do they feel about the emotions that they had that probably was uh, one of the most um, emotional part of my career uh, because, uh, because uh, I've realized that they wanted to have uh, true emotions and true connection with a company that is a company, it's not a family, but at the same time it's part of the community. And that's why also we did so many initiatives with the community, for example, by delivering through our vans medical uh, and food and essentials to the elderly, in the UK, or to the medical staff, uh, for example, uh, like uh, essential kit made of uh, pyjamas, uh, as well as uh, t-shirts and creams, uh, in order to help them uh, during this time, given that they are our heroes. I mean, uh, in all the world, our true heroes are the medical staff, that they saved, uh, they saved us, taking risks. feel that the actual products that you're selling are a reflection of anything that's happened or anything that you have decided? I believe that uh, uh, sustainability and let's say a sustainable fashion uh, is uh, becoming even more important than before uh, during this crisis and we've seen like customer putting a lot of emphasis uh, on uh, on this part of the sustainable fashion so like uh, no waste uh, uh, slowing down, uh, as Mr. Armani said in a letter recently, um, 
the way the way the way we were already prepared for that uh, is because we are focusing on luxury fashion, which is uh, a fashion that will last, uh, as I said, season after season, and it's not fast fashion that basically you uh, create a lot of waste uh, and you cannot uh, give it to the next generation. So I, I feel that uh, this uh, co conscious approach of customer will grow more and more over time and uh, we are very well prepared for that simply because that's uh, our core business. You talked to me before, you probably won't remember it, about man and machine and it was when we were both waiting rather nervously for in um, England, in London, for Prince Charles and um, he was taking you especially and I was running along and that extraordinary super modern dynamism it was um it's that star architect nicholas grimshaw and i was fascinated by this place not so much to see that you had royalty coming to visit but because i couldn't get over these flickering screens and they were marking to every microsecond where a, where a sale had been made across the world is that the essence of 21st century shopping is it not the people who you've helped and saved through this pandemic, but is it also about the machine? Yeah, no, I remember perfectly uh, that day, uh, not only because of Prince Charles, but also because of you. And uh, I remember perfectly it was a, a great day. And um, and actually the, the office that you mentioned, which is our London tech hub uh, that has been designed by Sir Grimshaw, it was ahead of time because like the way I see the future in terms of uh, office space, I see a lot of collaborative areas because uh, we will probably find a good balance between smart working and working from home. But when you go to the office, probably will be project led or event based. And so you need the spaces for collaboration. And the tech hub that you visited together with Prince Charles is exactly that, is a lot of collaborative spaces. The screens that you mentioned is basically just to remind everybody uh, that are working in, in our offices that uh, we have uh, the customer and actually a global customer because like you can see the order coming from Taiwan as well as from Sicily or Arkansas. Um, we have a global customer who, who is at the center of our universe because that's probably one of our main competitive advantage. Now we have like the so-called EIPs, extremely important people, so-called by Net-A-Porter, Mr. Porter, that are, let's say, people that, that we serve through, for example, a network of very talented personal shoppers. And those personal shoppers, they have like an amazing talent, a human talent, but at the same time, they use tools and machine, as you asked, uh, to that the, to help uh, the customer do better and better and better. So, for example, uh, we have uh, this strategic partnership with WhatsApp, and so like we gave uh, uh, to our personal shoppers uh, a great tool in terms of uh, WhatsApping with the, the special customers. Or at the same time, uh, we have taught uh, style to the machine. So, like there's a machine learning that can learn from the stylist so which product eventually our best customers would like to to have uh, according to all the different um, algorithms. I realize that your work is not just 
artificial intelligence and augmented reality. It's also about your customers looking after what you've just said to me about your very special clients. And there's also a fantastic service, isn't there, in the idea that people can get things online in Hong Kong or London or New York, look at it, see it, buy it, receive it. It, it is pretty amazing. And I've never quite understood whether this is because um, technically you have really invented or reinvented selling, or is it because you've got... How many people have you got now working across um, Italy and um, London? It's it's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, the tot- total employees uh, are 5,500, of which uh, most of them are between Milan and uh, Bologna and London. And then uh, there is also like a big group in the US and in Asia. So uh, in terms of your question, I think that, uh, I mean, it's, it's an interesting subject that uh, actually I've been working on uh, since 20 years, which is uh, finding the right balance between uh, human and machine, um, which comes from uh, the philosophical concept of the, the name of you, now the chromosomes and so on. And, um, and I think it's a, it's a choice. It's a strategy that you make where, in our case, we made a strategy that being part of the luxury industry for 50% and the other 50% being a technology company, we wanted to find a good balance between human and machine. So, like, the luxury industry is all about emotions, creativity, craftsmanship, quality, um, while uh, technology is about uh, data, uh, speed, and, and algorithm and so on. And uh, I think the combination of the two is uh, what we're trying to, to achieve across these 20 years. And, uh, but never going too much versus the machine uh, because uh, we could find more efficiency, for example, by reaching automation in so many things. For example, our own label. No? Like our own label is powered by data and artificial intelligence. But this doesn't mean that uh, the products are coming out uh, directly from data. No, we give our people and our product people the best tools and the best information coming from data in order to come, with, to come up with the creative ideas around the product. So it's basically it's giving humans more power through technology. question now and probably one that you don't really want to answer. Who is the real Federico Marchetti? Who are you behind the mask? That's a horrible thing to say when too many of us are behind the masks. But still, you remain not a mystery, but, you know, I, I obviously you're Italian born and bred, although you speak impeccable English. And you were a child in uh, Ravenna, which is a fairly small town in terms of... Um, Fame, being famous in Italy, and um, your father was a warehouse manager, which I hope helped you in your work. Your mother was working in a call centre. But without being clichéd, I, I just don't see you, Federico, as a typical Italian. You know, all that opera singing on the balconies to escape the lockdown. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like you. Who are you and your little family living outside the um, fashion hub of Milan, I've got a question for you. I wonder what you're going to say. 
Are you a lone Calvinist in a Catholic country? <laughs> so, Susie, uh, I, I believe that I'm, uh, uh, I'm a mix. I'm, I'm a mix of cultures and I love uh, mixing cultures because I think that um, you can leverage from uh, the differences rather than uh, trying to become more uniform. So, for example, my family uh, is uh, half British and half Italian. So my, my daughter, that always corrects my not impeccable English, thank you anyway for the compliment, but uh, definitely she corrects me all the time. She's uh, bilingual because uh, like uh, the mother and my partner is British. Uh, the reason behind the merger with Netaporte was because uh, I know that Netaporte was very different from Hughes, and I thought that uh, uh, the merger of the two, by leveraging the differences, uh, was uh, like the best thing to do for both companies. Um, I'm coming from a small town which is called Ravenna, by the northeast, by the beach. That's why I love water, probably. And uh, it's famous in the world for its mosaics. And in the past, uh, it was, I think, the, no, no, I think, I know, it was uh, the capital of the Roman Empire long, long time ago. And it's funny because one time I brought to Ravenna, because I, I'm, I'm proud of my, of my little city, I brought uh, the Armani crew to visit Ravenna. And it was uh, during a birthday of Yux uh, a long, long time ago. And so I went to see all the different churches with the, all these beautiful mosaics. And at a certain point, with the Armani crew, we went into one church that was, I think, San Vitale. And on the floor, there was Karl Lagerfeld taking pictures of the mosaics uh, laying on the floor. <laughs> so I said, I mean, like, uh, Ravenna is the fashion capital of the world, with Karl Lagerfeld and Armani at the same time in a church. And in fact, I think after a while, he came up with the, the mosaic co uh, collection of Chanel. Um, I studied in America, uh, and definitely I imported many, let's say, American tools to my company as a startup by, the, by for example, uh, sharing the upside, uh, giving shares and options uh, to all the people and uh, distributing hundreds of millions to everybody who helped me from the beginning of my career. So I think it, I, I'm just a mix between an Italian, I love Japan, and that's probably my attention to detail, that is quite obsessive. I love China for the speed. So I'm kind of, uh, let's say, loving different cultures. A perfect mix. I, I want to go back to, back to business. Um, I'm right, aren't I, in saying that Facebook have just um, stepped forward and looked as though they want to take over some of your area. Would you like to explain, see whether I've got my wording right there? I, yeah, I read the news today. I think it was on the Times. Um, about uh, Facebook uh, going to, let's say, more into the e-commerce, uh, shopping. Um, I think, I mean, there is a, like a, a strong partnership with uh, Facebook and Instagram between uh, and all, as well as uh, with Richmond. And uh, we are always, uh, let's say, uh, working together on a collaboration level on many new innovation for example, when Instagram launched uh, Shop from the Instagram, we were among the very, very first uh, uh, e-tailers, international e-tailers, uh, like uh, testing this uh, function. So I think we have uh, more to gain than to lose from uh, this uh, strategic collaboration with Facebook. I remember something that you said to me. You probably won't remember your act of kindness. 
in driving me back to New York City after the um, Ralph Lauren display of cars in New York. And um, you said to me then that one billion euros of luxury is sold in a year through mobile phones. I remember your words then. I expect the numbers have already gone up, but is the mobile phone really the heart and soul of your work? And were you rather a profit when you realised before it had come along that this could be an invention that made buying online possible? I know, I remember that night. I remember that night that we went back together because it was a pretty far, the, the event by Ralph Lauren. And um, uh, mobile... Uh, I've been, uh, let's say, I've been uh, from this conversation and probably by knowing each other since a long time, uh, you, you know that uh, I'm uh, focused on innovation. And um, I mean, it's nice also to be called an inventor, uh, which really flatters me. Uh, in When I was at the university, I was among the very first to get... Uh, a big mobile phone. It was big, big, big. It was actually in a little case. And I don't know if you remember the first mobile phones that went out. Like it was 1991. Yes, I had one too. I was working for the International Herald Tribune. Okay. <laughs> so I was among the first among the students at my university that was a university in, in Milan uh, to get this phone. And uh, since then, I, I wanted to invent a phone with a camera incorporated, but then I'm not an engineer. And so I didn't go to Nokia with my invention, but it was like, let's say, a good invention because that's exactly what the phones are now. Now there are more cameras than phones in a way. And uh, in 2006, uh, I put together a task force at Ux uh, to start thinking about mobile as a channel for e-commerce. So it was a uh, head of uh, the iPhone one year, one year before and uh, head of many other inventions and, um, and companies that have been launched uh, later uh, focused only on mobile. And thank goodness I did it in advance, you know, ahead of time, because uh, as you mentioned, like for us, uh, mobile is the biggest channel for selling and is uh, like uh, growing after month after month. Um, so definitely, as you mentioned, more than uh, 1 billion that you, you just mentioned that it was uh, like a, a while ago. And, uh, and we expect this, uh, this channel uh, just uh, to grow further. If you ask me, is a mobile... Uh, going to change in the future, I think so. I think that uh, it's still a primitive uh, device now because now like uh, you, you still need to touch it. And, uh, and with this uh, virus, like uh, everything that you touch is kind of dangerous. So I don't know if it's going to be contact lenses uh, like, uh, or like it's going to be like a, a, a microchip, um, like... Uh, uh, Tesla founder is, is uh, working on or, or is something else. But definitely, I think in five years' time, also the mobile will change and will completely become, uh, in a way, touchless. I so enjoy stroking my pale lilac phone. I, I don't want to give it away to some <laughs> other system. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk to you about something else. I, I think you've proved to me immediately that you're king of logistics. But an important percentage of your energy has gone to thinking about a better world. I mean, we all think about that. But I remember when dear Franco Sutsani was still with us and a decade ago, you supported the um, Vogue Ukes Challenge. 
And um, there was all sorts of things with um, technology and innovation. And you have really talked a lot about responsibility and sustainability in fashion. Do you feel that supporting young designers with powerful ideas is almost part of your duty because of what you do? Yes, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, but before I go into this question, uh, I, I, would, uh, I would say that I'm not the king of logistics in the sense that uh, I, I love innovation in logistics. And so, for example, uh, in our logistics centers, we have uh, robots that go faster than Ferrari from uh, zero to 100 kilometers per hour. Or we have been the first to implement RFID, which is Radio Frequency Identification Number, which is basically no barcode in our logistics centers. But, uh, I mean, innovation and technology applied to logistics, yes. But in terms of logistics as a whole, probably there are so many other people that are much better than me. Talking about young designers and Franca Sozzani, with Franca we launched uh, this program called um, the Vogue Talent, uh, together with Ux and together also with the other sites of our group, uh, back in 2011, so it was a long time ago. But even before that, uh, uh, I remember with Marco McLaren that I became a friend with a uh, long time ago, we launched uh, at Ux uh, this program called The Wild Bunch, uh, that was basically helping young designers, for example, Jeremy Scott, uh, was one of them uh, to to give more awareness and to give like uh, e-commerce and I'm talking about at the beginning of the year of the 2000. Um, so it's it's been part of my of my life and my career to support young designers and, uh, and now with the next um, program with Vogue we're not supporting only young designers but also um, uh, innovators and uh, young entrepreneurs that are focusing on sustainability because uh, young people and sustainability are like part of my values and uh, I think definitely part of the values of my group. And then there's this project of yours which it seems so worthy and wonderful to provide a laptop to every child in Italy, um, young children in school. And that seems to me an extraordinary thing because it's opening up your work to a new generation and in their youth, not when they become teenagers, but even earlier. Have I understood things right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, one of the main pillars of, uh, let's say, our future and our strategy, our vision, has been uh, digital education, simply because uh, the world is lacking uh, digital talents. And so in the last uh, few years, we've been focusing on digital education by, for example, you know, teaching codes to young kids, uh, both in England and in Italy, uh, through Imperial College in, e in England and through Fondazione Golinelli in, uh, in Italy. I think we taught coding to more than 10,000 students. Uh, at the same time, I'm now like pushing a lot uh, during this um, virus uh, uh, for example, in Italy, we know that, uh, but not only in Italy, also in the UK, there are many kids that they don't have a computer, they don't, they don't have a laptop. And so I think that the governments, at least, the, the, the first thing that they should do, given the importance of education in the growth, in the progress of everybody, every country of the world, they should uh, give one laptop to every children, to every child. I think it's the minimum required by the government. And, uh, and actually now the machines, they, they are quite cheap. 
It's not like uh, like 20 years ago that a laptop costed a lot of money. So they can do it. And um, uh, But before waiting for the governments uh, to do that, uh, we decided to start ourselves to donate laptops, hundreds of laptops. Uh, at the same time with Bologna and with the mayor of Bologna and the University of Bologna, we put together an online platform to meet the demand with the uh, offer of uh, basically people can donate laptops so that they go to the, the, the young kids uh, in Bologna and uh, many more activities. So I've been involved, uh, for example, as a volunteer in these uh, Founders for School to, to give inspiration to the, to the UK students um, recently by giving like a kind of a lecture. And uh, yeah, I think this is probably my mission and probably also my future mission. I'm really impressed by how thoughtful you are um, in, within your work. But I, I want to ask you a rather hard and awkward question. Why is it so hard for the, in the 21st century to produce a company with really big profits? You personally witnessed the explosive growth of high fashion online. A torrent of money goes through, but in the end, you're not making the mighty profits that people on the outside probably imagine. Is it just a question of time or is it a question of the fact that the consumer now rules the roost, as we say in English, that's the consumer who is very demanding, making things more difficult for the seller? Thank you for asking this question. Uh, I believe uh, it's, a, it's a question of uh, long term versus short term. Uh, so even Amazon, it took so many years to, 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 to turn into profits. And uh, going back to Richmond and to our visionary chairman, Johan Rupert, I think uh, one of the best things that I could have done uh, by, let's say, uh, working with Richmond is because they are very much focused on the long term. So Mr. Rupert, in the recent analyst presentation, uh, said that when he, he bought Van Cleef, the jewelry brand, It took many years, but has been very patient. And the same patience applied to online, given that we're focusing on the long term. And uh, in, in the last uh, three, four years, I've been focusing so much on the long term by building the foundations of this group in order to stay the leader in online luxury fashion. Um, and, and this means that uh, if you focus so much on the long-term building foundations for the long-term growth, sometimes you need to make sacrifices in the short term. And, and I think it, it is the same in normal life and it is the same in a company. So, but uh, as an entrepreneur and not as an, a, man, a manager, I thought that for this group it was more important to focus on the long-term rather than focusing on, uh, let's say, Uh, the quarter results. And how about yourself and your family? How do you manage your days? Is it about dawn to midnight talking online um, to Asia or to America? Or do you take yoga exercises? Do you go off and play with your daughter? Or do you, I suspect you go off to the sea to swim, or maybe not to swim, but to climb on your boat and go off on the blue horizon. <laughs> What's the truth? Uh, 
the truth the, tr the truth uh, is uh, that uh, i mean during these uh, three months i worked so much and so uh, i mean uh, to protect all the people the customers for the community and so i uh, was waking up very early as a, as like a kind of normal time uh, even if i was in smart working uh, trying to do a little bit of exercise in the morning because i have some back pains and then immediately starting uh, the day with the Zoom calls, uh, connecting with the executive committee, connecting with the, all the people in my company, connecting with Rishpon. Um, I, though, tried also to spend some time with my daughter because, um, because I think, uh, I mean, these, uh, these uh, three months or two months, they've been amazing for, let's say, uh, the first time that uh, I could spend some time with my daughter because of between traveling and going and fashion shows and this and that. In the end, uh, the time spent with my daughter, that she's uh, almost nine, has always been a very little uh, focus on the weekends and like uh, trying to put her asleep uh, by reading a book, uh, but not that much. And so I think I've been so lucky to do homeschooling with her in terms of Italian classes, one hour per day during this time. At the same time, I, I tried also to do a little break uh, that in Italian is called merenda, which is basically around 4 or 5, 4.30, you have a snack uh, because you need calories and you need like, uh, because you're getting tired and it's called, uh, it's a typical Italian tradition called merenda. For all the rest, like uh, from the morning uh, at uh, 7 a.m., from the morning at 7 a.m. until uh, probably around 11 p.m., basically just work, 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 which is the WWW, which is the real interpretation of the World Wide Web, because it's all about work. Oh, well, of course, I've always thought that that five o'clock um, or six o'clock stop in Italy was for a nice glass of wine. But um, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps you're a very good person who knows you've got to go on working. But you, you brought me to something here when, when, as you talked. Do you actually think that this terrible, terrible virus has given our fashion industry, or maybe all industries around the world, a chance to slow down? Is it something that we almost needed in order to get the tilt of our lives on a better position? I cannot say that we need it, uh, but definitely we needed to admit uh, that uh, it's been, uh, I think in English you say, an eye-opener. So on, on, many, on, on many things, as I said, like uh, spending time with your, your family, spending time with, with your daughter, uh, slowing down uh, the, all the fashion cycle that um, maybe sometimes uh, it was too fast and too similar to fast fashion rather than to luxury. At the same time, uh, smart working. So, for example, at Juxnet Aporte, we, we approved the smart working, I think, in 2018. Then uh, in 2019, uh, we were one day per week in, 2000, in, uh, in smart working. And then from the 1st of January 2020, we went to two days per week. So, for example, for us uh, to go from two days per week to five days per week was pretty seamless. It was very easy because everything was prepared. Everything, we were in the infrastructure, all the people had their own laptops. So everything was ready, and so that's why also like I achieved good results in terms of um, saving people and protecting people. Um, but people realized that uh, smart working 
could be good because before I, I've seen a lot of resistance also in terms of smart working. Now I, I've run a kind of, I, I, I've written a, a message to all the 5,500 people uh, talking about this, would you prefer smart working? So what do you think? Uh, what is the new norm? And I've never received so many messages in my life from all the people saying that they would like to stay home all the time. And, and probably I think that we needed to find a good balance. As I said before, like uh, finding uh, good things to do at home, but at the same time coming to the office for collaboration, for horizontal projects, for like um, events that we are organizing uh, among the different functions and the divisions. So I think that uh, we have learned a lot from this time and, uh, and it's not been only negative. That's what I wanted to say. Is there anything that you really long to do? You're already famous for what you have achieved and will remain so always. But what is the one thing, the one step, apart from taking my phone away from me, <laughs> what is the one thing that you feel will be the, a mark of something that you have achieved in taking the world forward? I think that you mentioned before that Prince Charles came to visit our tech hub. And uh, one project of which I'm really proud of uh, is uh, the, the collaboration that um, I've created with uh, Prince Charles and his foundation. Because um, it is uh, a collaboration between Italy and UK. So basically it means that there are no borders, no populists, no Brexit, who cares? No, it's like um, people, British and Italians working together. It's about students. As I told you before, I love uh, young people and I love to help them and uh, being designers or innovators or simply students and designers. Uh, and uh, like it's uh, Scottish and um, Italian students coming from uh, uh, the University of Milan Polytechnic and coming from uh, like uh, the, um, the place around the, 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 the residence of Prince Charles that has been like doing a great job there in terms of employment and so on. Coming up with the collection powered by data, which is like, as a, so it's partially technology, but uh, it's all about also um, craftsmanship and uh, it's all about uh, quality and made by humans which is, uh, I think, uh, will be an important label of the future. Now we have Made in Italy, we have uh, Design in Cupertino. I think in the future we will have also Made by Humans as a label because it will be more and more important also that um, the human touch. And um, of uh, a luxury sustainable collection, which is again like uh, sustainability is what is in customers' mind and has been something that I've been working on since 2009 with the launch of Oxygen and now I've been trying to import to Net-A-Porte with the launch of Net-Sustain and also like with other uh, group uh, activities coming all together in one project. So basically this project is kind of the sum uh, and the summary of all my passions, all the missions that I've been working on and uh, which I believe uh, will continue to be the heritage of Youth Net-A-Porte even if uh, after me. Federico Marchetti, that is a very good way to end this fascinating talk. Personally, I'm going to go home and hug my telephone. <laughs> it will take some years, don't worry. Thank you, I love talking to you. Thank you, me too. It was fun, as always. Ciao, Susie. Ciao, ciao. 
Federico, thank you so much for spending this time with us all today and congratulations on your upcoming 20th anniversary. It's so interesting hearing what it took to take your invention of the world's first lifestyle e-commerce destination to growing it to where it is today and also hearing how proud you are of your many social and environmental initiatives, the summary of your passions and your missions, a commitment that is inspiring to us all. Thank you all so much for joining us on our sixth episode. As the world continues in the fight against COVID-19, we are continually thankful to all the healthcare and care workers around the world and the many in our industry who continue to work together to help protect our doctors, nurses and frontline workers in the fight against COVID-19. I'm sure you'll all join me as we thank them for their continued work. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be in conversation with the supermodel turned exceptional fundraiser, Natalia Vodianova. Until next week, on behalf of Condé Nast, I would like to wish you all and Federico Marchetti and all at Uke's Netaporte Group a safe and healthy week ahead. If you would like to find out more about our conference, please do visit cniluxury.com. To find my articles, visit the fashion channel of vogue.co.uk and at Susie Menke's Vogue on Instagram. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube and many others. Support for Creative Conversations podcast comes from the Condé Nast Luxury Conference. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan and edited by Tim Thornton. Music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace and production assistance by Lauren Sweeting. <laughs>